Hey, what's up? It's Mai Yang from Mix in the Dark. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. If you know me, you know that my favorite season is coming up very soon here. I love fall and I absolutely love Halloween as well. And with that said, I'm going to need your scariest stories yet for the next month. I haven't heard a really good scary story in a while and I feel like... Because I've been doing scary story podcasting for a few years, my tolerance level for scary stories has gone up. And this is also true for scary movies or anything scary, really. And I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing, but we'll see. I'm really careful, though. If it is a story that is not meant to be told publicly and is only meant for me to hear, then I just listen and I respect the moment. Shoutouts to Thusu and Christy from Flashpoint Screen Print in Fresno, California for making a donation toward USB microphones for my podcasting class. Y'all are making me nervous because it's becoming real. This is my very first time opening up a class to teach the tools to creating and launching a podcast. So I thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Again, if you would like to fund my class, feel free to give me an email at mixinthedark at gmail.com. We are continuing our series called Cairnhill Memories. These stories were passed on to me by a writer that goes by the name of Jubilee. So again, thank you so much for sharing these stories and histories from Singapore. Please enjoy. Secrets and Scares Grandma's house at Cairnhill had more than its fair share of secrets. My family suspected that many atrocities took place under its roof when it was the base of operations for Japanese army officers. But we were glad that the full history was never made known to us. Sometimes it was best to let the sorrows of the past stay in the past. Tim and Perry, sons of first uncle Ken, were closer in age to my elder sister Lily. We were the gang of four, often running wild in the overgrown jungle garden, a leafy wonderland with flowering shrubs. Under the whispering canopy of bamboo grove near the gated entrance, Tim, the heroic swordsman, rescued Princess Lily of the Hidden Fortress, aided by her faithful handmaid, me. From Perry, the villainous bandit, Tim, being the eldest in our gang, was the natural ringleader of our childhood exploits. Those were the glorious swashbuckling days until we were banished by our parents from that part of the garden. I thought it was some arbitrary decree by the adults to spoil our fun. My mother eventually told me the reason when we were all adults. Apparently, Grandma had heard from the neighbors that more than one unfortunate soul lay beneath the bamboo. They claimed that the poor victims had been chopped into pieces and the grisly remains buried in the front of the garden. As the house had been an interrogation center for the Japanese military, there could be some truth to the stories. Mindful of our status as a respectable family, Grandma was very particular on observing protocol, form, and civilized manners. She did not think it was likely for her grandchildren to be playing around the area possibly angering the spirits by showing disrespect for someone's final resting place. As the undisputed matriarch of the house, everyone obeyed her directives, even my cousins, most of the time anyway. 
But to a child, the house hid an exciting mystery behind every nook, corner, and cranny. The darkly gleaming floorboards felt cool and smooth beneath our bare feet. Every creak of settling wood was like the cozy prattle of a friend. I would wander along the long hallways until I made it through to the back, where a wooden staircase descended onto a square stone-paved courtyard. Beneath the staircase to the courtyard was a small door to a hidden room that comprised the entire first story. This was the basement, the magical realm with a great store of memories and echoes from a bygone era. There were any number of things there nestled within the room. For all we knew, some could be hiding clues to ancient riddles, remnants from a murky past like an old talisman or an object tainted by a curse. One fine day, Tim thought it would be fun for our gang to embark on a little expedition and explore the basement. As fortune would have it, someone had conveniently left the door unlocked that day. It was a sign. We needed no further encouragement. Quick as a flash, Tim, Perry, Lily, and I slipped into this mysterious realm. Tim flicked the switch beside the door, and we gaped at the fascinating contents within. Dimly lit by a single dangling light bulb was the treasure chamber, the household storage area. Everywhere we looked was a magical item. Funny-looking clothes from a different period, colorful mismatched crockery, old furniture pieces, odd-shaped little boxes, and other trinkets we could not name. We touched or lifted each item to marvel at the unfamiliar shapes, textures, and colors. A layer of dust covered the place which was thicker in the far corners. Odd shadows cast long arms over everything from the dim lighting. It was a bright afternoon in the courtyard outside, but dingy and hushed in that secretive room. There was a resounding bang. The door slammed shut on us. All of us jumped almost to the ceiling. A girl was giggling nearby. We thought at once it was cousin Ava, first Aunt Elsie's second daughter. Ava was only a few years older than Tim, but she thought we were all silly babies and hence beneath her notice. Tim hollered, Ava! We know it's you, Ava! Let us out! yelled Lily. We'll tell Amma! threatened Perry. The boys banged on the door but to no avail. It was shut tight. Ava had locked us in. My heart was fluttering about in my ribcage, trying to fight its way out from my small chest. It was getting hard to breathe. Panicked, I thought the walls were closing in. The light bulb seemed to slowly fade. It was as if the shadows had lengthened, gathering around us expectantly, grasping fingers outstretched. I burst into tears. Lily tried to calm me, even as the boys continued to shout and thump on the door. It felt like hours, but was probably only minutes later when the door opened. Ava's elder sister, Tia, stood looking at us in the doorway. Why are you inside here? We were all punished accordingly. Ava was soundly reprimanded for locking us inside. The basement was forever barred to our gang. Ava claimed she had only meant to give us a little scare, but the door had slipped out of her hands and slammed shut by itself. For years afterwards, Ava continued to protest her innocence whenever someone brought up the incident. We all thought she was lying through her teeth. She was not one of our favorite cousins, not being as nice to us as her siblings, Ned, Tia, or Sonia. 
But I still remember how the shadows looked really weird for a moment. They had frightened me, really frightened me. It was the only time I ever felt that way in the house. Did someone or something decide to teach naughty children a lesson by respecting boundaries? Or was there a more sinister attempt to trap us in that room? Grandma also had a decree that when the sun was shining and up high in the sky, we were allowed to play outdoors. But once the sun began to set, regardless of where we were on the property, we all had to return to the shelter of the house. I have a strong suspicion that Tim and Perry were behind the reason for this rule. One afternoon, when my cousins were about seven or eight, they were a bit tardy in heading back inside. They had been shooting marbles on the flagstones in the courtyard between the main house and the kitchen building. The sun had started its slide over the horizon when something caught Tim's eye. See that? He pointed up at the sky. Perry craned his neck. See what? That bird thing, you idiot head, said Tim with an older brother's withering scorn. Don't call me an idiot head. You're the moron, was Perry's defiant reply. Suddenly, they both saw the flying thing, a black silhouette against the gathering dusk. Like a threatening shadow, it hovered seemingly motionless in the sky for several moments. The napes of their neck prickled in warning. They had the distinct impression that it was gazing down at them with baleful intelligence. The boys were certain it was not someone flying a kite. They had flown kites before and knew the difference. Something warned them to beware. Instinctively, they backed away to the staircase towards the protection of the house. To their relief, the creature did not venture any closer. Instead, it circled a few times over the roof of the neighbor's house before flying away into the twilight. They clambered up the wooden steps, too terrified to even call out for help. In a panic, they hurtled back into the house. Their account sparked some debate in the family since the brothers gave conflicting descriptions about the winged creature. It had the wings of a bat. Looked like a hawk. Maybe a bat hawk? No such thing as a bat hawk. Some falcon type bird? Someone pointed out that if the creature had been seen so clearly from that distance, its wingspan must be as wide as an eagle, much bigger in size than the creatures that had been named thus far. A few of the aunts were certain it had been some kind of evil supernatural creature. Everyone argued for a while over that as well. You saw a fruit bat, Dad had declared firmly, and that was that. I did some research and found out that there is such a bird as a bat hawk. An infrequent visitor to Singapore, the bat hawk is a raptor with long wings like a falcon. It has black or brown plumage, about 45 centimeters in length, not quite large enough to fit the description. The general consensus was that Tim and Perry had seen a giant fruit bat or flying fox. It is native to parts of Southeast Asia with a wingspan of 1.5 meters, but it is an herbivore, feeding mainly on fruits, flowers, nectar, and pollen. Not an aggressive predator that would display overt hostility or arouse feelings of danger. Whatever it was, there was one thing both brothers agreed on. It did not feel friendly. The courtyard divided the house from the large kitchen. 
Located in a separate building, the kitchen had only three walls and was wide open at the side that faced the main house. To the servants' quarters in the old days when the family had a housemaid and a cook. My mother had stayed briefly in the spare room above while my father was away at work. This was before my parents were married. It became a mother's sewing room after they moved into the main house. I once peeked inside the servant's room but was shooed off for being nosy. That courtyard was an ideal spot to hang the laundry and for the younger children to play where they could be watched from the kitchen. It was a constant hive of activity for the living and the restless spirits. Once, Cousin Nick, second Aunt Maggie's son, was playing by himself in the courtyard when he suddenly pointed to a well-lit corner. Ma, look, monkey man! What monkey man? startled his mother, who looked up from the pot on the stove she had been minding. She only saw the usual shadows casted by that afternoon sun. Nick gave her the exasperated look that only a three-year-old boy could manage. Man, red crying monkey, ma. Monkey man. Aunt Maggie managed to piece together that he had seen the slight figure of a man in some sort of uniform. A small monkey sat on his shoulder. The monkey man had wept red tears that stained his cheeks from the hollow-looking eyes. At the time, the area had been filled with people. There were many hands in the kitchen, busy preparing the evening meal. Every five minutes or so, someone would be walking across the courtyard on an errand to and from the main house or checking on the washing line. No one had seen what Nick was talking about. He had given some oddly specific details for a child's imagination. Television had not yet been invented, and the movies were a rare luxury in those post-war days. Aunt Maggie could not figure out how her sheltered three-year-old was able to put together the image of a soldier and a monkey in that way. Of all the grandchildren in our generation, Cousin Nick was probably the one who inherited the family gift in the strongest measure. He was much older than the rest of us and had grown up in the house at Cairnhill, where he saw and heard strange things. Not always at the house either, it seemed that he often attracted spirits and otherworldly things. When Nick was not that much older from the monkey man incident in the courtyard, something else happened. It was bedtime. Nick had been brushing his teeth at the bathroom sink when Aunt Maggie heard him cry out. She came rushing up to find him trembling and pale. The, the, the head, the head, was all Nick could stammer out. After some questioning, Aunt Maggie learned that he had seen a face looking at him through the bathroom window on the second story. It had belonged to a disembodied head. Just a head, hanging in the air. Man, woman, baby, she asked. Hair, eyes, face, what color? Is it like us or white? But Nick had been too young to notice much from that fleeing glimpse. The family thought it was unlikely that anyone could have climbed a tree at night since it was pitch dark outside. There were no trees growing next to that part of the house. They had no idea what it could have been. Weird and inexplicable things happened all the time at that house. There are shape-shifting evil spirits called the Aswang in Filipino folklore. Some have birds or bat-like characteristics, such as the wok-wok, a vampiric nightbird with bat-like wings that flap with a wok-wok sound, warning of its approach. 
or the Mananangol, a vampire-like creature who can separate its torso and fly with bat-like wings into the night to prey on sleeping pregnant women. To this day, Nick would rarely speak of his experiences. According to Aunt Maggie and later his wife, he continues to have odd experiences. Whenever either of them told the rest of the family about them, he would look uncomfortable and not join in the conversation. I never had the heart to ask Nick further questions. There are times when the family gift can be a difficult thing to bear. Thank you for listening to Mix in the Dark. I am your host, Mai Ying. Mix in the Dark is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast series. If you have a story that you would like to share, please send it to mixinthedark at gmail.com. If there's a story that you really enjoyed, feel free to hit up my tip jar on Venmo. Just search Mix in the Dark on the business tab.